Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I don't know if you've thought this before. I don't know if you've read studies on this before. There has been work on this done. But the idea that attractive people get more advantages, attractive people do better in life, attractive people make more money. There is There are studies that show all of those things are true. Now, attractive is a subjective term, so it's a little difficult. But what if we apply this to school? Do you think that there is a chance that attractive students get better grades? Well, we don't really have to wonder so much now. There is a new study that has been done. It's from Sweden. It's from Lund University in Sweden. The person who did the study, his name is Adrian Mahick. He joins us now. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. So this is a, as I said off the top, this is a fascinating study because attractiveness is a subjective idea. Nonetheless, there are some universal or more universal views of what is attractive. When you studied whether attractive students get better grades, what did you find? Yeah, so basically what we saw that was uh, before the pandemic when when teachers could see the faces of the students or professors in this case, because we're at university, uh, then the attractive students, both the males and the females, got better grades. And, then, <laughs> and that's, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> and I think a lot of people might have thought, oh, that might be true, but I don't know that they would have expected that if you put science to it, they would have found that that was actually the case. So, so how do you do this? This is, again, there's subjectivity in this. So how do you study? First of all, how do you determine who is attractive? That's a, that's a tricky one to start with. Yeah, basically, you take pictures of the people uh, that you want to study. Of course, it can be, uh, in this case, students. But for instance, if you would have studied, uh, you know, uh, do workers get higher wages or something, if they're attractive, well, then you would just take the pictures of the workers. So in this case, we had pictures of the students and we let the jury rate their attractiveness okay so there's not there, there is no objective standard of this this is simply putting it in front of a bunch of people and saying tell us who's good looking and who isn't as good looking exactly and that's what they do in this literature so there's no kind of novelty to this this is the standard way of doing this in in this uh, in this research basically Okay. And once you had established that baseline, did you, before you even got into what they did during the COVID period, did you look at what their grades were like going into COVID to see if attractive people had had higher marks? Yeah, exactly. And that was the case, you know, the attractive people, the attractive students had higher marks uh, before the pandemic. And then uh, during the pandemic something happened and that's so, what was so interesting about this study actually was the adrian were the marks were the higher marks only in the courses like languages or um arts things where there is a lot more subjectivity because it couldn't possibly have translated into the sciences where there is a right or a wrong is there exactly that's that's right it was only in these uh kind of more uh in the subjects where there is no really right or wrong right whereas in in maths and physics, we didn't see this effect at all. Okay. All right. So it's not like, I don't know how you would have done that there. I mean, as I say, there's a right or there's a wrong. So what was the, what was the difference? I mean, are we talking a percentage or two, or are we talking something significant that the attractive people benefited? I mean, it's kind of difficult to, to sort of quantify this, but yeah, so we're talking maybe, yeah, say five to 10% better. And that's, uh, that's also, a lot. Yeah, I mean, it is. And um, imagine this in terms of wages, you know, five to 10% higher wage um, 
over a lifetime, over 40 years of working. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's well, not small potatoes, actually. And not at all. Rates, yeah. For and a, I don't know, I don't know, Adrian, what the situation is like. I'm not as familiar with Sweden's education system. I don't know how challenging it is to get into universities there out of high school. But here, five to 10% in certain courses might mean the difference between a program you really want and a program you don't want. Yeah, certainly. I mean, and because we have university grades here, I mean, five to 10% could be the difference between your dream job and your job that you kind of don't really want. So it is kind of as implications for not just for uh, for your grades, but also for your uh, future career. Did you talk after doing this study and finding this out, did you talk at all to um, professors to see if they thought that this was happening or if they were completely oblivious? Yeah, I mean, I guess that most people kind of assume that this is correct or it makes kind of intuitive sense. But I guess that many people were, were also a bit, you know, kind of angry that that this research had had been published because they didn't want to be you know um you know treated as as they were kind of discriminating against people mm. and this was a kind of slightly controversial even among some professors actually that they didn't like this result right that we uh, kind of painted this uh, this picture that they were actually discriminating uh, in favor of beautiful students Although, you know, it's it's funny because you use the word, and I'm sure it's the correct word in this when you say discriminating. I'm sure that's the right word. Yet I'm I'm not sure this isn't simply human nature. I'm, and I wonder if any professor went out of their way, his or her way to say, oh, that person's beautiful. I've got to help them along. I, I just wonder if this is just who we are and we like things that look nice. Exactly. So we kind of associate uh, good looking people uh, with other characteristics right as well basically we just like being surrounded by beautiful people and they're all there's also kind of interesting interesting research in uh, in psychology that actually shows that your brain activity increases when you see a beautiful person so that would have to hold for for teachers and their students as well even though it's you know slightly slightly controversial issue obviously because the age difference is usually quite well, substantial. That too. <laughs> that too. Is there any, but even when you, when you do this, and, and I think this is a fantastic study because it's so fascinating. The downside to a study like this is what do you do with this now that you know, because is there really any way, because to fix this, you would have to have professors or teachers or whomever say, you're kind of not very good looking. So I got to be careful. I don't grade you too harshly. Like it's really difficult to do anything with this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, it, and this is kind of human nature, as you said, right? So it's kind of difficult to, to kind of, uh, yeah, see what can we do, right? But in, for instance, in the kind of university setting, then may, maybe you could have anonymous exams to a greater extent, for instance, and there are similar kind of ways of dealing with this. But generally, in in certain environments, it's very difficult actually to do something about this. And well, kind of yeah, for sure it is. And the other part is, uh, let, let's say that you get a low grade, not you, you're, you know, you're a bright student who finishing your PhD, but let's say yeah. someone gets a lower grade. It's a really awkward thing to walk into a professor. And go, I know why you gave me a low grade is because I'm really ugly. I mean, that, yeah. that's a, that's a really <laughs> tough thing and to that's argue. Nothing to say. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's also a bit, uh, yeah, a bit intimidating for the professor as well as for the <laughs> students, I would say. Absolutely. It is. This is, as I say, this is a really, um, 
All right. By the way, I should have, before we go, was there any difference you said at the top, male and female students, maybe I'm being too old school here, but was there a difference when it was a male professor and an attractive female by and large? I know, you know, that we may have gay professors or whatever, but was it more pronounced when it was a male professor and a good looking female student or vice versa, a female professor and a good looking male student? Yeah. I mean, uh, most of the professors are, um, are male here, right? So, uh, there was a bigger effect sort of uh, male professor and female student. Uh, however, also some of the uh, female professors gave the beautiful females a better grade. So kind of this female uh, female beauty, beauty premium holds both when the, uh, when the professor is male and also when the professor is female. So, yeah. I guess it's good. It's good to be a good looking woman, is it? I guess, yeah, exactly. I guess that's, that's the, that's that the is moral. Quite, that is quite good. Uh, Adrian Mayhick from Lund University in Sweden. Uh, very much appreciate you doing this today. Thank you so much. This was a fascinating study. Thanks for talking about thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Ryan Reynolds wanting to buy the Ottawa Senators, the actor, Deadpool actor, was at the Senators game last night. He is, uh, he has expressed, he was on the Tonight Show saying he wants to buy the Ottawa Senators or at least be involved in buying the Ottawa Senators. However, even he says, yeah, I'm going to have to find someone to help me out here. It's a lot of money. Well, for us, it would have stayed there until a couple days ago when another name started popping into the discussion. The Globe and Mail today said that Michael Andlauer, owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs, is now the front runner to be the new owner, to be able to buy the Ottawa Senators. The first person who had mentioned Michael Andlauer's name, at least as far as I saw, the guy who introduced this topic to the public, his name is Bruce Garriock. He writes for the Hamilton or for the Ottawa Sun, joins us now. Bruce, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Bruce, you there? Yep. There we go. Thanks for doing this, Bruce. Really go. appreciate Sorry. it. Nice to talk to you. So does anybody in Ottawa, I know that there was a lot of excitement last night when, uh, last night when Ryan, Ryan Reynolds was at the game. Does anybody in Ottawa particularly care who owns the Senators as long as they keep them there? Well, I, I think so in some way, shape, or form. I think that, you know, people here want a, want a uh, good owner. Um, obviously, you know, Eugene Melnick leaves behind a very complicated legacy here. Um, but he did save the team from bankruptcy in 2003 uh, when nobody else wanted to keep this team in Ottawa. And his family, uh, you know, plans to hold on to a legacy piece. Scott, it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is, this is as much a real estate deal as it is a deal for the hockey team. And there's a very valuable piece of land downtown, a Le Breton Flats. It's 10 minutes from downtown. Um, when the when the when the O train here works, it will stop right out <laughs> at the Breton Flats, um, and it will be perfect. It'll be a perfect location for the hockey team. That land has to be developed. the 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 rink that the um, uh, New York Islanders just built was a billion dollars. You've got to think that this rink is going to cost a billion dollars to build downtown. Um, the price of the hockey team. Portico had it in, at $650 million. I think the Senators feel that the value of their franchise will be much higher than that. And, and I think that, um, I think that um, there are going to be several interested parties. And I think that Michael Anlauer 
is fairly obvious because he owns 20% of the Montreal Canadiens. He has no say. He's already in the club and being um, being a part owner. To me, he just makes a lot of sense. I laughed, by the way, when you mentioned that we've got an LRT project going on here. It's a, so when you talk about the LRT working, sometimes that that, that was the explanation yeah, for that. Not follow Ottawa's model. <laughs> <laughs> Good suggestion. Um, it, it is a really interesting thing when you say that this is a real estate play because, and I think a lot of people here, I don't think I'm breaking news to a lot of people even listening. You're you're very familiar with this. The LeBreton Flats thing has been going on for a long, long time. So Since 2016. Yeah, so what happens, it looks like things are moving in a much more positive way now, at least from the outside it looks that way. What happens if this doesn't happen? I mean, I, assuming that it does, the team is in Ottawa then for uh, in perpetuity, everyone's happy, it's a great location. What if that doesn't happen? You know, I haven't really thought of that because I just feel like this time it's actually going to happen. Um, I, I, think what's, I think what has to happen is, when the new owner buys a team, and I think that's why there's a little bit of a sense of urgency now here to get this done, um, uh, I think that the, the new owner has to come in and dot the I's and cross the T's on that deal. Now, here, here's what's interesting is the deal has to be in place by September. A lease for that land has to be in place by September of next year. Uh, so the, the, the clock is ticking on that. It, I think what's going to happen here is by mid-January, we're going to know who the owner of the Senators will be. Wow. Okay. Uh, it will then take six months to paper that deal. But I think at that point, Scott, the, the new owner can then be involved in the deal to make sure that LeBreton Flats is done. And, and I think that there's an app. The, the key to this and the reason I think it will get done is the last deal was for like 50 acres or 53 acres. I mean, we were talking about a massive development. This is going to be maybe a hotel and a rink. It's, it's six acres of land. It's a very small parcel. I think this will be a much easier deal to get done. Well, and the questions around here, certainly in Hamilton, even today, as people were learning more about this, was, well, does this mean Michael Landlauer is a local guy? Does this mean he's going to buy the team and move it to Hamilton? And uh, besides all the other hurdles that might be in the way here, um, it appears anyway, again, from the outside and looking at what's happened for, say, in Arizona, Gary Bettman does not seem like he wants teams moving around. And it would have to be, I mean, look, I was going to say the worst case scenario. I don't know what Arizona is. I mean, it's beyond the worst case scenario. And yet he still doesn't want that team moving. So it it doesn't look from the outside like Ottawa is going anywhere. Even even if that situation were to fall apart again, it just doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere. No, and and you're going to, you know, they're going to sign a long-term lease with the National Capital Commission for that land so they won't be able to go anywhere. And the other thing is that the land surrounding the Canadian Tire Center is going to be pretty valuable. I mean, it, it's on a huge parcel of land, um, and that that land alone is going to bring in a lot of money uh, for whoever buys this team. Now, is that privately owned, Bruce? Looking at, is that at private land? Developing that land when they did move downtown, and I think one of the things that they would certainly talk about was a casino and a hotel, whether that would ever go ahead, I don't know. But, you know, it's, it, it's been very interesting here um, because I think, 
I, I'm fairly certain that sometime in the last few years, and I want to say maybe it was three years ago, Michael Anlauer approached Eugene Melnick about buying the team. <coughs> and at that point, uh, Eugene Melnick said, there's no point even discussing it. We're not. I, I'm not going to sell it. So that was kind of the end of the discussion. I think that uh, when when the whole first run at LeBreton took place, I think that Andre Demaray approached Eugene Melnick about buying the team and, and spoke with Gary Bettman about it. And at that point, he didn't want to talk about it. Um, so I anticipate that they'll be involved again. The Kimmel family in Toronto approached Eugene in December about being involved in the LeBreton project. At that point, the National Hockey League told Eugene, don't take a partner into LeBreton this time. See if you can do your own bid, get partners who can help you with the whole plan, and then, um, then when it comes time... To, if you win that, then bring in a partner, because then everybody will know what's involved. So I think what happened was the the Melnick family wasn't going to be able to do this project by themselves. They were going to have to bring in a partner, and and I think that this is this was a very emotional decision for his daughters to put the team up for sale. But I think they feel it's the right thing to do to ensure the long term uh, sort of the the future of this team in the city. Bruce, you mentioned, and we only have a minute or so left here, you mentioned uh, several days ago, as I say, you, I think, were the first one to mention Michael Andlauer, certainly the first I saw. People in Ottawa reading that piece and trying to figure out who these people were you were talking about, just the ones you mentioned just now, what have been the questions about him? Because he's not a really, really well-known guy. He's very successful in business. He's been in hockey for a long time, but he's kind of flown under the radar in a lot of ways, I think intentionally. What, what are people asking about him? Well, I think they want to know what he's all about, and 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 I I think it's interesting that um, anybody you talk to in hockey absolutely adores uh, Mike Landlauer. People you talk to who have worked for him say that he just runs a first class operation in uh, in Hamilton, and they have nothing but good things to say about him. And the the thing I keep hearing is that you know he wants to take the next step as a National Hockey League owner. Uh, because because he 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 feels like he can have a bigger role in a franchise, and, and I think people find him very intriguing. And uh, look, uh, look, we might see some billionaire from the states come in and buy this team. Who knows? Um, but but I think that that I, I I think if you can't have uh, local ownership, I think that Michael Anlauer partnered with some local people here, and in a, in a small part. And Ryan Reynolds would be a nice way to see this franchise go. Yeah, I mean, Eugene Melnick, uh, from what we see from the outside, he was a pretty big presence in Ottawa. Michael Anlauer is, again, the same things I said a moment ago. He's a guy who doesn't hog the spotlight. I wonder if a franchise needs a face like a Ryan Reynolds or someone, even if he's only in for 5%, but if he's suddenly the guy that you see. I wonder if that's important. Oh, I think it is. I think it would be nothing but good for the NHL and for the city to have a guy like Ryan Reynolds involved with whatever uh, turns out happening here. And I I also think that anybody who comes in here is going to want to get Daniel Alfredson involved as well. Mm. Bruce Garriock from the Ottawa Sun. Uh, Great work on this already. Really appreciate you taking a few minutes. Thanks for doing this. Anytime. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
we did see in the election, municipal election a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago almost now, we saw a huge turnover. Uh, already a number of incumbent councillors announced they weren't going to be running. And then we saw another, a number of others lose. And that has meant that there are many new councillors that are going to be around the table who have not been there before. And, you know, it's fine to say, well, that's fine. They're new. They'll figure out their job on the fly. Well, yes and no. There are some jobs that you come in and you can spend a month or two learning how to do, maybe more. I'm not sure that city council is that. You are going to be having stuff landing on your desk that matters from day one. It's probably best you have some idea what's going on. So city councillors, the new councillors, and maybe the older ones too, I'm not sure. We'll find out in a second. But certainly the new ones for the last couple of days have been going through what I'm calling council boot camp. Jeff Beattie is the incoming councillor for Ward 10. He joins us now. Jeff, how are you today? I'm very good, Scott. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks and for I, doing I, this, and congratulations, by the way. That's, uh, that's fantastic for you. Well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. So is boot camp uh, an appropriate term, or would you go with something else? Well, I, I think I overheard earlier you were describing the, the pig guts and the machine guns crawling <laughs> on our bellies, and, and I thought that footage was deleted, but uh, <laughs> yeah. somehow I guess it leaked out. Yeah. Uh, you know, that would be valuable footage, I'm telling you. Down the road somewhere, <laughs> that would be, uh, and, and climbing the wall, rope course and everything else, that, no, I would, I would, it would be like a scene from Stripes. The early Why part not? of Stripes. Well, exactly, exactly. Uh, unfortunately, our, our uh, boot camp was not quite that graphic. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, and, and uh, we, we have uh, been going through a, a period of orientation and uh, no, no peg guts, no, no machine gun fire, no, no climbing walls, but uh, uh, intense nonetheless. Okay, so let, let's back up for a second. You have been so, someone who has been involved in municipal politics in the sense you were on a school board. So this is not entirely foreign to you, how meetings work and how the bureaucracy works. This is something you've done before. Nonetheless, when you won, I don't know if you were one of those people who won and then went, holy crap, I just won, or if you were like, no, guaranteed I'm going to win. But did you? when did you start to realize, my goodness, I actually still have an awful lot to learn here? Uh, I think, uh, the, the day after the election, Scott, was that, that suspended reality where, as you mentioned, like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Um, but the next day, uh, and, and uh, as you mentioned, I did have some previous ex- experience as an elected official and, uh, it started to feel a little more familiar, uh, in terms of, um, you know, the, the starting line, uh, and, and off we go. So um, there was some familiarity. It's, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. I, I think that uh, having having served previously is, is of value to to my position, um, and I think the majority of the folks around the the table have some inkling of of what we're getting into. But yeah, there's going to be a bit of a, a learning curve. We're all on it together, uh, but I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to uh, to, to land it as, as the thing goes. So when you go to these meetings, and it was it's, it was it yesterday and today so far? That's correct. Okay, yeah, and yeah. is there more, or was today the second and final day? Today was the second and final day of what we would call the orientation, but there's going to be a little more training as we go on um, maybe more refined and specific uh, objectives, um, but uh, that that's all going to be off on the horizon a little bit. So what, what do they teach you? First of all, who teaches this? 
Well, it's more of uh, familiarizing yourself, uh, and I would say in two respects. I mean, the point is that we get to uh, learn about our colleagues, uh, spend a little time getting to know our council colleagues around the table, uh, but also familiarize ourselves with the uh, senior staff um, around the, uh, you know, the administrative level. Uh, so your directors, your general managers, familiarizing yourself with uh, different departments, department heads, and getting to know the landscape of who does what, uh, you know, what department looks after what function, and things of that nature uh, from a more operational standpoint. And um, that, that's really been the, the crux of the last uh, two days, and, and uh, including in today, uh, a briefing on what we can expect uh, moving forward into the budgeting process. When you say you get to know your new council colleagues, that's a really interesting thing. I'm having this vision of an, the first episode of a s- series of Survivor where you all land on the <laughs> island. But, I mean, truthfully, at, at this point, without naming names, because I know you don't want to create enemies right off sure. the bat or whatever, but can you already see people who are more type A than you thought or not as dominant? Or can you already see personalities coming out? Or is everybody being a little bit quiet and cautious right now? Um, I don't. I don't think that there's any um, um, quiet and cautiousness around the table. I think we're all being uh, quite forward. But uh, Scott, I think we all there's a willingness. I think to to take a, a step back, not not overplay our hand, as it were, and uh, take a moment to understand the perspective of whoever is talking at the moment. We, we all want this to work, and I think that's a common thread. I can't speak for anybody but myself, but from my observance of what's been going on the last couple of days, I really, truly believe that everyone wants this new council to succeed. So we are taking time to be uh, you know, respectful of each other. We're acknowledging each other's ideas, even though we may have differing opinions uh, in the future. Uh, we're really taking the time to... Uh, lay a good foundation for the next four years, I think. There is, um, there's a way that meetings work, and some people are very familiar with city council or other executive meetings. Other people, it would be, mm-hmm. would be new. It, it, is it obvious that, I mean, you said that most people come in with some idea, but there's a lot of you know, little things that go on in these meetings and protocols and things like that. Have you had to go over that of how the meetings work and who gets to talk and how you have to second and all, all that kind of stuff that will go on? Uh, we haven't got into the nuances of that specifically yet. Uh, I understand that that'll be forthcoming you know, before uh, we, we hit our first uh, meeting and um, it'll be the week after our inauguration. Um, but uh, like I said, I, I do think that uh, either directly or indirectly, the vast majority of the incoming council has some experience either uh, sitting around a horseshoe of type or through delegating to City Hall and uh, watching from the outside. Uh, that uh, I, th- I think we're all in, in pretty good shape on the decorum and the process, and, and I, I don't really foresee us uh, taking too long on that learning, learning curve. There is um, not just learning this stuff, but there is literally and figuratively setting up an office. I mean, you have to have an assistant. You have to, as I say, put an office together in City Hall. But how much work is involved in doing that? We're we're kind of stuck in this um, nether region, as it were, because... Uh, we, we all want to get in there and get going, but we, 
don't have any official standing until after inauguration takes place. So uh, we're moving towards establishing, you know, we, we're hiring assistants. We're trying to figure out, uh, you know, what will be required in our new offices and, and when we're going to be able to start moving in and, uh, you know, getting settled. Um, that, that's, that's a process that's ongoing. Um, we're kind of doing the best start that we can whilst still being respectful to those who are, you know, leaving the same space that we want to occupy. So, as I said, it's a little bit of a dance, uh, you know, the lack of a better term. But um, I, I, I think, again, I think we're going we're gonna to land it okay. Um, there's uh, a lot of supports from city staff to help us along the way. Um, but, um, you know, once inauguration hits, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we're all going to be, uh, relatively speaking, hitting the ground running. Do you know in City Hall, I mean, have you even been through, do you know where your office is or which office to do, does, I mean, your Ward 10, does Ward 10 have the office or is it a choice of who gets to pick where? It's my understanding, and, and I can only speak from my own experience, uh, but it's my understanding that the current um, ward offices are basically continuing forward. I, I don't know of other councillors, uh, councillor-elect experiences, um, but the uh, you know I happen to know that um, you know the the councillor-elect for Ward 11 is continuing in Ward 11. I happen to be next door in Ward 10. I'm continuing on in that office to the best of my knowledge. Uh, but uh, that that seems to be the process, and it's probably the uh, most fair and easiest. Uh, way forward, I would suggest, uh, for an incoming council just to continue in the in the footprint of the, the outgoing council. When it comes time, and this is all part of the, I would think, the learning process here, and you say, you know, learning about senior staff and everything else, mm-hmm. but the people who have ever watched a city council meeting or gone online, the, the volume of paper at times that will come with a, with <laughs> a meeting is, is, honestly, it's enormous. Yes. How... Is this something that most of you, certainly yourself, speaking for yourself, is this something you've ever had to deal with before just to work your way through that amount of stuff in a short period of time? Well, like we we hit off the beginning of the conversation, Scott, um, having served on the school board in uh, various roles through different committee structures as vice chair of the board, um, I am used to a certain amount of uh, reports that are going to come through. Uh, so I've got a good foundation on that. I, amount, I uh, imagine that the amount uh, will be incrementally bigger than I'm used to, um, but it's, it's all a matter of uh, scale. So when you move into a, you know, an a area of larger responsibility, the reports and the amount of information flow is going to be that much bigger. So uh, you know, as, we, as we move forward, I have, I have no doubt that there'll be a lot thrown at me. I think with the expression that we were... Uh, kind of uh, using today was drinking from a fire hose, just the amount of yeah. data that's coming at you. Uh, but, um, you know, you, you learn to uh, adapt, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we're, we're all going to, to be able to get there. Um, those who have preloaded experience will probably benefit from it a little more than those that are starting from scratch. But, again, we're we're all eager and willing to get started. I think it's going to be... Uh, a, a good uh, good four years in the long run. You have, as you've mentioned a couple of times, you've not been sworn in yet. That happens in a couple of weeks. Um, a week from today. A week from today. Okay. Uh, that said, how many people have already reached out to you already asking for stuff, even oh. though you're not in a position to do anything <laughs> right now? Has that already begun? 
Oh yeah, uh, the the night of the election. In fact, uh, people really? were starting to. Yeah, it didn't take long. Like what? Uh, what did they ask for the night of the election? Oh, gosh, um, uh, the the uh, the culverts in front of my house. Uh, <laughs> I have an issue with a permit outstanding. Uh, uh, the full gamut, Scott, uh, and and I think people are they're realistic in knowing uh, that. Uh, there's going to be a, a bit of a, a lag time for me to be able to get back to them right away. You know, you respond back to the email and say, listen, I, I appreciate you reaching out right away. I want to help you. Here's the reality of the situation. I'm limited in the uh, the capacity that I have right now. But as soon as we can, we're, we're going to move forward. But, um, yeah, it's it's been a mixed bag of literally everything and, and pretty nearly every day since uh, the 25th of October. So how many emails a day are you already getting from people? Uh, I'm trying not to count. <laughs> that many? It, it started off, uh, I think the, the uh, initial inflow of in- emails was much higher than it is now. It's a, a two or three a day for myself right now. Uh, initially, it was uh, substantially higher. Again, I couldn't tell you exactly seems to have leveled off uh, but um, you know I it, it's part of the job and and I can't blame people they they want to get their issue kind of in the door they want to be uh, first in line as it were uh, they, they want to see action on, on whatever the issue is that's affecting them and uh, so it, it's expected uh, as far as I'm concerned and uh, as soon as I'm able to I will be uh, responding to everything in an orderly fashion this is this may sound like a weird question and probably it's the wrong word but <laughs> oh good <laughs> well no but i it, one of the things that we always hear about is that people will call you just talked about the culvert i want something done and i want it done right now have you yet figured out and again forgive the word but have you yet figured out how much power you have or don't have um no no i guess i haven't um i'm Coming at this from the lens, as, as I keep going back to uh, the lens that I had as a, as a trustee, um, that um, it's, a, it's a process of taking in the concern from the constituent, then working with the appropriate uh, department or staff member uh, to understand the situation and then bring forward a response back to the constituent. Um, I don't know exactly what those timelines are going to look like. I don't know how fast they're going to happen quite yet. And I don't know what kind of uh, input, uh, direct input, that the counselor would have into that particular situation. I would imagine that it would vary on the uh, particular inquiry. You know, if somebody has an issue that they they want a brand new park built tomorrow, that's probably not going to happen Right. right away. A culvert issue. It, there may be uh, a little more of a you know a quick response, uh, but those are going to be some things that there'll be some learning on the go as we as we move forward. But that's um, that's kind of what I was just asking though, and yeah. you're getting to the point. But it's it's let's say with the culvert, someone says I have this problem, I want it done. Have you yet? Do you know, or was this part of what the 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 boot camp has been to say? Someone asks you for this. Who do you, who can you go to? Do you go to the head of the department? Do you just call, go down to the office? Do you like what are you as a counselor? Do you know yet what you're able to do directly, or is it all? Is there a whole process that you're still navigating? 
That the process is still being navigated. I'm going to be leaning a little bit on uh, the administrative assistant that uh, that I've hired to work in the office. Uh, the the individual that I've hired has uh, comes kind of preloaded with an understanding of how the system works, probably a little better than myself. And uh, she's going to be able to help me navigate through that to understand. Uh, you know, call we're going to call this person and and we're going to um, wait for a response from this department or or whatever the issue is having somebody with some on-the-ground experience within the inner workings of City Hall is going to be of, of benefit to, to me and the, the constituents of Ward 10 uh, as I learn what those roles are going to look like. There is one other thing here that is uh, it's a, a, probably a tricky part of this, and that is you and a number of the other new councillors, for sure, some of the old one, older ones too, the incumbents too, but mm-hmm. you have other careers. You had jobs. You have a business. What do you do with that business? Well, I'm fortunate, uh, Scott, insofar as um, my business partner is my wife. Uh, she is an experienced uh, manager, um, sorry, manager, uh, and uh, you know she's going to continue on uh, managing the business. Um, my input will still be there in terms of running the business, uh, but it will be lessened. So you know, again, I'm I'm in a fortunate position. Um, each individual. Uh, member of the incoming council is going to have their own experience as to how they depart from a former career or, you know, whatever the case will be. Uh, but, um, you know, as I said, I'm I'm in good shape and, and looking forward to uh, the future on that one. Do you have time? I mean, honestly, when, when it comes time to say, oh, I'd love to help out, or is this a, a great out for you? I, I'm sorry. I can't do it today. I'm sorry. I got a meeting. I'm out of here on your oh, own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's basically going to be that, uh, you know, I've, I've got a, a, I say nine to five, but it's going to extend well beyond that. It's going to be a nine to nine or whatever the, the terms are going to be. Um, I think that uh, people will be more likely to see me around my business on the weekends. Uh, they're probably not going to see a whole lot of me during the week, but, uh, you know, whenever I'm able to, and if the workload permits, uh, I'll be able to come and participate in some fashion. But, um, my, my day-to-day managing of, of my business is, is going to be very, very limited and, and to, to what I've just described there. Last thing then, is there such a thing when you're a city councilor in your mind, in Jeff Beatty's mind at this point, before you've even been sworn in, is there a... Is there a time when it's not cool to be talking about council stuff when you are off? Or once you're a counselor, is that a 24-hour-a-day thing? So if you're at the business and someone comes up and wants to talk about their culvert, that's okay? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I have no illusions that, that people uh, won't try to approach you in the grocery store or uh, try to bring up an issue at my business or, or wherever they see me. And in fact, that's already been the reality. People have already hmm. uh, popped into to my business or, or you know, bumped into me at, at Costco or wherever and uh, expressed that, gosh, we got to work on this or we have to do that. Uh, I think that's part of the role. Um, how I manage that will, will be uh, depending on the situation. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I would say that I, I welcome it. I understand it's part of the position that I've asked for. And, uh, you know, if, if people bump into me in the store, I'm going to do the best that I can. Probably will be taking information and, and sending it uh, into uh, my office so that I can process it from a desk somewhere and, and determine best next steps. But uh, if there's, there's no, I don't think there's any real time off, in quotes, 
unless I decide that I, you know, I'm taking a vacation and taking the kids up north or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, like, you, you, you chuckled when we used the example of the uh, first episode of Survivor. Have you figured out who's in the alliance yet or who's going to be voted <laughs> off first? I don't think they've handed out the buffs yet. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, yeah, good answer. Good answer. Go. It remains to be seen, Scott. Like I said, I, I, I had the good fortune to meet with all, everyone now, I mean, um, every member of the uh, existing and uh, outgoing council, uh, or sorry, the, the returning champions, as it were, uh, to use that same survivor uh, theme, yeah. uh, except for uh, Councillor Paul. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll put that on my list and I'll make sure that I get a chance to connect with her. Uh, and we are, even though we may be wearing, you know, different buffs, as it were, um, I think we're, we're still going to be working together. I, I really uh, be good. am feeling be good. optimistic about the future for the next four years. That'll be good. Just make sure you learn how to make fire. That's all. <laughs> well, it's the foundation <laughs> of everything. There you go. Jeff Beatty, uh, incoming counselor for Ward 10. Uh, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much, Scott. Great talking with you. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.